Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Okay, if you have- so, we've been... <laughs> no one look behind you, it's pure chaos out there. Um, we've been looking at spiritual disciplines for the last uh, few months now, I think. And so we're continuing that today, and we're going to look at the discipline of confession. Oh, bet you're all pleased that you came. That was a joke. Um... Okay, and to do that, we're going to look at James 5. So if you've got your Bibles, James 5. And some versions call this chapter the life of living faith. And in this chapter, there's some things that James writes about that we must know in order to live this life of faith that we're called to. And he starts off by rebuking ungodly rich oppressors. We've got a few few of those in the world, haven't we? He reminds the church to be patient and to wait for the Lord's return. He commissions the elders to lay hands on the sick. And he reminds us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. And in the midst of this quite remarkable chapter, all of which is in light of the nearness of Christ's return, he writes in verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that's the verse that we're going to be looking at today. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And I just want to start off by uh, sharing with you what I felt God say to me yesterday. I was sat with Jesus and um, I just felt him turn to me and say, I'm not harsh, you know. He said, I'm not harsh. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And I sat with that because um, if God is telling us to confess our sin, it's not because he wants to embarrass us or humiliate us. It's because he knows that it's good for us. You know, God is not a harsh God. He is a God of love. And therefore, if he's saying that we should confess our sins to each other, we've got to believe that it's because it benefits us in some way. You know, Jesus came that we might have life and life in all its fullness. And so if the scripture says confess our sins, we've got to believe that God is saying that this is good for you. And so I start with that because I feel like everything's in, it's important to know that everything is built in the context of the fact that God loves us. You know, he's not harsh. He doesn't want to humiliate you. He loves you. Um, so I'm going to look at kind of what it means to confess our sins. And I want to look at kind of what that does for us. What does it do for you when you confess your sin? What does it do for the other person? And then what does it do for the church corporately? How does that impact the body of Christ when we choose to confess our sin. So here we go then. Are we all ready? Don't get too excited, will you? (laughs) Okay, Uh, my first point is that confession leads to honest, authentic connection. It leads to honest, authentic connection. Uh, Last week, I went to the Lake District. Has anyone ever been to the Lake District? Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It's nice there. I felt God tell me to go, so I booked a day off work. I went for two days altogether, and I got the train there because it cost me £20 to get to Carlisle on the train. What a bargain. So I got the train there, and I noticed a few things on that journey, which was quite interesting. Um, 
I didn't have my headphones in. My phone was in my bag, so I was just taking everything in, you know. And this girl came on the platform. She wasn't much bigger than me. She was, I would say, early 20s. And she had three massive suitcases. And as soon as I saw her, I thought, Becca, prepare yourself, because you will go and help her. And um, I did. And the carriage was pretty full. And she came and she sat next to me. And I looked around and everyone, literally everyone, was on their phone with their like AirPods headphones in, everyone. So I looked like the odd one out, because I wasn't, I was just sat there. Um, and I thought, I'm going to strike up a convo. Because there's nothing better than striking up a convo with a stranger on a train, because there's nowhere for them to go. <laughs> so I'm going to start a conversation. So I turned to her and I said, where are you going? And she looked at me. And, and everyone else looked at me as if I'd broken some sort of unsaid train norm. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh. And um, she said, home. And carried on scrolling. And I was like, oh, this is going to be tough. But um, <laughs> it doesn't throw me off. <laughs> and I thought, come on, Becca. So I said, uh, well, where's home? And she said, Zambia? Wait. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that I'd get a cheer. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, no way. I said, I thought you were going to like Sheffield. And she was like, ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, I noticed in that moment, I decided to shut up then as well. I noticed in that moment that, you know, you could be surrounded by lots of people and yet still feel incredibly isolated. That's what I noticed in that moment. Have you ever had a conversation with someone whilst they've got like headphones in? Oh, don't get me started on that yet, because that is like my pet hate. <laughs> it's, it's usually young people, let's be honest. Um, sorry, young people, that might be here. <laughs> but they come to you and they start talking, but I'm like, are you, are you listening to me? Or are you listening to music? I don't know what's going on. Um, and I just make a point of being like, get that thing out your ear. Um, <laughs> I'm quite rude like that. Um, but I have noticed that the world is evolving to such a point where we could be surrounded by people and yet still feel lonely. And it's an epidemic that society is experiencing. And sometimes maybe even you come to church and you're surrounded by people and yet still you feel isolated and lonely. And I honestly think that's because we're not very good at honest, authentic connection. You see, at the heart of who we are, we've been created to be in relationship with one another. Firstly, we've been created to be in relationship with God and then with each other. You know, it's part of who we are. When God crafted us, he crafted us for connection. And so if we've been wired and designed for honest, authentic connection, actually there's an issue when we live outside of that. And society, whilst it's evolving to this point of isolation and loneliness, the church has got an opportunity to tell a different story. And just because society looks like that doesn't mean the church has to look like that. The idea to people outside of the church that we could ever sit down with someone and confess our deepest, darkest insecurity and flaw is bizarre. But to the church, it's biblical. Confession 
confessing your sins to each other is biblical. And therefore, it's something that we must learn to practice. I believe that if we truly did um, practice the discipline of confession, I believe that it would kill isolation. And I think it would lead to honest, meaningful connection. But in order to do that, we must first confess to ourselves that we're not living the way that we're called to live. Because you might be sat here and thinking, this is great because the person next to me is full of sin. I can see it all over the face, but I've got no sin. (laughs) But truthfully, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And in 1 John 1, I'm going to read it to you. 1 John 1 verse 8 to 10, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Like I said, we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we're all in need of a saviour. When we choose to live in pretense and denial, we actually fail to live in truth and freedom. And I believe that if we're willing to confess to ourselves that, you know, we've got some things that aren't particularly good. If we're willing to confess to ourselves, then we can confess to other people. And when we do that, this is what I think it does, yeah? I think it breaks barriers. Um, When I was at university, for the first few months, I really struggled with the Christian Union you know, like the Society for Christians. I really struggled with it. I was a passionate lover of Jesus, but there was something about it where I was like, I'm struggling. And uh, I was joking in the first service, but maybe there's some truth in it. I think the reason was because everyone was there looking for a partner, and it's painful watching Christians flirt. (laughs) Really painful. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Anyway, I powered through. But um, there was one girl in particular called Amy. I hope she doesn't watch this. (laughs) Honestly, she was so irritating. (laughs) I don't know. I've grown up a lot since then, guys. It was 10 years ago. But there was something about her that really irritated me. And maybe, maybe I was jealous of her because she looked like the perfect Christian. And I was like innately aware of my own sin and brokenness. And I looked at her and I thought, Crikey, I want to be like her, you know. She was happy all the time. And if you know me, you'll know. You can tell when she's not happy because it's all over her face. Um, but for Amy, she just looked like, like a great, good Christian, you know. And um, so I kept my distance <laughs> for like three years. And then eventually we ended up going to this wedding together. And we spent like two hours in the car. And then we stopped at this service station And I remember it so well. Um, Really randomly, she turned to me and she confessed her sin to me out of nowhere. And I could see it was like a really painful thing for her. And she just confessed, you know, the things that she'd been struggling with. And in that moment, something changed. Maybe it was in me more than it was in her. I don't know. But something changed between us. 
and this kind of outer exterior that she had fell away. The barriers fell down and I saw her for who she really was. And you know what? It was beautiful. And it was the start of this really honest, meaningful relationship where even after uni, you know, she'd call me and we'd just have really honest conversation together and try and encourage each other to walk with Jesus, you know. But it was the start of something and it was the moment she confessed. I also think I put her on some like spiritual hierarchy. You know, I put her on a pedestal. And when she confessed her sin to me, I realized that every spiritual hierarchy I had was dismantled in that moment because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Ooh, what's that Jesus? <laughs> it's the wind. <laughs> uh, but we have, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And when we're willing to confess our sins together, it is the start of meaningful, honest connection. Now, I'm not saying you should confess to everyone. (laughs) Um, That would be unwise, you know, going around confessing to everyone, first person you meet. Um, I'll tell you this funny story. Last week in Sunday school, this girl turned to me really randomly and said, how many friends do you have? And I was like, hmm. Um, three. And she went, what? I have way more than you. And I was like, oh, (laughs) I wanted to say, just wait till you're older. And then I thought, no, Becca. (laughs) Oh dear, it's a really funny moment. Um, But Jesus had 12 disciples, didn't he? And then he had three close friends, you know, and I always think that's a good that's a good way that we should live our life. You know, I think Jesus invited these three close friends into every part of who he was and what he was doing. And so find someone that you can trust, someone that you know has been there for you and confess to them and let it be the start of this real honest, authentic connection. Confession kills isolation. I really do believe that. My second point is that confession opens the door to healing. Let's go back to James. Um, It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. In the Greek, this word healed has got two meanings. So it's like a physical healing and then a spiritual healing. And I want to focus on the spiritual healing. This idea of, you know, being restored to good spiritual health. I find that hidden sin is like a sickness to the body and it eats away at you and it leaves you feeling trapped. And I've noticed this own, like in my own life, this tactic of the enemy where he goes, he comes as a tempter and says, just do this, it's not too bad. Do this, everyone's doing it. You know, tell that lie, gossip about that person. Do this, it's not so bad. The more you entertain that, that tempting thought, the more you fall into sin. And then when you're in sin, the enemy comes as an accuser and says, I can't believe you did that. That was the worst thing you've ever done. (laughs) And all of it is to make you feel trapped and isolated and alone. And I feel like the enemy does that because he knows that confession holds power to heal and to free you. And so he'll do everything he can to leave you bound and trapped. I really do try my best. I'm not always good at it, but I do try my best to keep kind of like short accounts, you know. And I, I try to be quite quick to confess. Um, and the reason why 
I'm, I'm not always good at it, but the reason why I try to do that is because there was a few years ago when um, God told me quite specifically what I needed to confess and who I needed to confess to. Very specific. And this is a few years ago now. And um, for a whole year, you know, I'm not going to say I wrestled with God. The truth is, for a whole year, I was disobedient to God. Because every time I saw this woman, God was like, confess. And I was like, nope. <laughs> nope. Um, and I think it's because this woman, for me, held a lot of authority and I was scared, you know. It was pride, actually. Let's, it was pride because I was worried she was going to think less of me. That just came to me. Um, so Jesus told me, confess, and I was like, nope. And then after one whole year, eventually, I confessed. And you know what she said to me? She said, I know. And I was like, she said, God told me a year ago. And I was like, oh, my days, I've been conned. I didn't say that. <laughs> and I look back and I see that God had prepared a way for me to confess. You know, he was in it. You know, he, he told me to do it. He was in it. He made a way for it. And instead of spending that year in freedom, I spent it trapped in shame. And when we choose to let, like, hidden sin kind of remain in our life, it robs us of freedom. And the enemy's had too much time in our lives. We give him too much time, don't we? He tries to bind us in fear and shame. We give him too much time. And confession leads to this healing and freedom. Pastor Simon said something um, a few weeks ago now. He said about living the right side of the cross. Can you remember that? Yeah, it really stuck with me. He was talking about living the right side of the cross. And it dawned on me this week that when we confess, we don't confess from a place of defeat, but from a place of victory. It says in James, literally before verse 16, it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sin. We don't confess our sins wondering if we're forgiven. We acknowledge that we already are and therefore we confess our sin. You know, we live our lives from a place of defeat when Jesus has called us to live from a place of victory. And when we do that, it becomes almost easy to confess our sin because we know that this sin does not have a hold on my life anymore. You know, we declare all these songs, don't we? You know, death couldn't hold me and what is it? Um, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing all these songs, you know, we say all the right things, but confession is the practical outworking of what we declare with our mouth. And if we genuinely believe that we're living from a place of victory, then we should be able to confess our sin because it has no hold on us anymore. I thought that was quite good. <laughs> um, James says, confess to each other, pray for one another that you may be healed. And I just think there's this connection between relationship and healing, because James says it. I'm not making it up, you know. And when someone confesses to you, you have the opportunity to point that person to the truth of who Jesus is. You know, John 8, uh, we read about the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know that story. And um, the Pharisees are trying to stone her to death. 
And it says, Jesus comes alongside this sinner, this woman, and he says to the accuser, you without sin cast the first stone. And I reckon in that moment, you know, that that woman experienced healing from God. And when someone's confessing their sin to you, your job is not to make them feel 10 times worse. (laughs) If they're confessing, chances are that they know that what they've done is a bad thing. And so our job is to point them to Jesus, the one who silenced the voice of the accuser. And in doing so, we actually play a part in their healing. So confession leads to honest, authentic connection. I believe that it's a doorway to healing. And thirdly, confession is a gateway to a move of God. It's a gateway to a move of God. When, I, uh, when Pastor Simon told me I was speaking on confession, I just wondered, you know, whether there was a link between confession and revival. So I did some research, and I believe that there is. I believe that there's a connection between confession and a move of God's spirit. And in Acts 19, we read of this move of God in Ephesus. People were healed. People were filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it says that many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their, sc- oh, <laughs> brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And in verse 20 it says, And in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Confession led to a move of God's spirit. And fast forward, I mean there's so many stories, but I've just picked this one because I've not heard it before. In 1903, there was a revival in Korea. And it came about because the Holy Spirit came upon one particular missionary called Dr. Robert Hardy. And in his words, the Spirit commanded me to confess my failure and its cause before my fellow missionaries with whom I spent most of the day during my missionary life. He was then asked to speak at one particular church where he wept and confessed his sin publicly. And it says that he would visit 10 mission station centers throughout Korea. And during 1904, 10,000 Koreans turned to God during a time of revival. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Fast forward to this year where we saw a move of God in Ashbury University. Remember that in America? There's this move of God that took place and students would linger in the chapel in the presence of God. And um, it says, reports say that this renewal began with confession of sin. And that would make sense actually because when you look at all the pictures and the videos from that move of God, you see everyone was at the altar Mm. So the more I thought about it, you know, I mean, you can go home and Google confession and revival and you'll see like hundreds of articles. The more I thought about it, the more I thought there must be a link between confession and an outpouring of God's spirit on his people. And this is why I believe that confession doesn't just impact you, it impacts us. It impacts the church. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is true. And the reasons why I think it's true 
is because, firstly, confession deals with pride. Done it. You know, we live in this world that's like, mind your own business. We live in this world that, you know, you're trying to make a name for yourself. And whether we acknowledge it or not, we're trying to be the best all the time. It's like life is one big competition and I want to win. I remember saying that once. Shame on me. (laughs) But we do, we live in this world where we're just trying to be the best, you know. And if we're willing to humble ourselves, to confess and acknowledge that, you know, we're not where we're supposed to be right now. I believe that the Holy Spirit will come and gain access to that part of your life. You know, in Acts 19, there was a public acknowledgement of how they lived their life. They knew that they hadn't lived it the way God had called them to live. So often we try to justify our sins to God, don't we? You know, we come before God and say, well, God, I don't know if this is a sin, really. Well, no, the Bible is clear. What God calls sin is sin. And the church needs to be quite firm about that. What God calls sin is sin. What God calls good is good. And if we were willing to just submit and humble ourselves to the Lordship of Christ, what we do is we give the Holy Spirit access to every part of our life. You see, the Holy Spirit won't go anywhere without an invitation. You know that bit in the Revelation where Jesus stands at the door and knocks and he says, anyone that hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. You know that verse? Yeah, we use it for like evangelism and stuff, but first it was written to the church. And I believe that there's some parts of our life that we just don't give the Holy Spirit access to. We keep, we keep him away and we, we choose to believe that we can do it on our own. And when we do that, we actually fail to see that we're a sinner that needs saving, you know? And when we're willing to confess our sins to each other, it deals with pride and humbles our hearts. And when we do that, when we submit to the Lordship of Jesus, when we acknowledge that what God calls sin is sin, when we acknowledge that we've not been living the way that we should, I believe the Holy Spirit comes and rests on his people. And uh, confession is a gateway to a move of God because confession deals with the real issue of our lives. Some of us are really good at sweeping things under the carpet, aren't we? Yeah, the carpet's getting too big now, though. So what do we do? (laughs) No, we are. We're quite good at just sweeping things under the carpet. When actually we should be addressing that real issue in our life because there's freedom from it. You know, Jesus died that you might have freedom. Um, and so if we're willing to actually just peel back the layers and, and see what the real issue is, then maybe we would find healing and freedom. I, I realized um, recently that I'm not very good at gardening. <laughs> I thought I was. I was started off very confident. Um, and then there was lots of weeds in my garden And someone said to me, you need to get some weed killer. And I thought, don't you tell me what to do. I'll just pull them up. (laughs) Pride. (laughs) Um, And I started pulling up these weeds, thinking I've done a great job. And now, there's just weeds everywhere. They've come back, and they've come back in full force. Do you know what I mean? And I just realized I'm not very good at gardening. It's like a full-time job is gardening. 
Um, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> um, but I do feel like that's a really good analogy for our life, you know. We kind of like pull things up, hoping that we've got to the root of the issue. But there's something underlying in our life that we need to deal with. And when we confess, we bring it into the light and expose it for what it is. The Holy Spirit wants to deal with that issue in your life. He's so gracious, don't you think? Like, he's just, he's so gracious to us. You know, sometimes we want him to force his way in, but he's not like that. He waits for an invitation. And if you're willing to acknowledge that there's something here, that's why I keep responding like this. That's why I keep behaving like this. It comes from this real root issue in my life. If you acknowledge that, there is freedom from it. Jesus takes you on this journey of freedom and healing and restoration from it. Does that make sense? Oh, good, because I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> um, and I believe that confession is a gateway for a move of God because it, it stops us living individualistically. You know, we think our life with Jesus is private. I don't believe it is. I think it's personal, but I think it affects the whole body of Christ. And you know, when I said that um, hidden sin is like a sickness to the body, yeah, I didn't just mean you. I mean, I feel like it's a sickness to the body of Christ. And this is why. Because sin keeps us bound in shame and fear. And when we choose to live from that, what we fail to do is to live in the confidence and the authority which Jesus has paid for. And, and Jesus has given you gifts and skills that equip the body of Christ. You know, he's given you things that he hasn't given me, he hasn't given the person next to you. He's given you specific tasks, a mission, a purpose for you to fulfill. And if we're choosing to live from shame and fear and hiddenness, then actually we fail to live in confidence and authority and freedom. And all of that benefits the body of Christ. Um, we can't do this life on our own. And when we confess our sin, we acknowledge our need for other people and Jesus, of course. Um, this same word in, in James 5 that says healed, you know, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other that you may be healed. That's the same word that appears in the Greek in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, where God says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven forgive their sin, and will heal their land. It's the same word. In the Greek, it's the same word. And so when we humble ourselves, when we choose to lay our pride to one side, when we choose to acknowledge that, you know, this isn't the way we're called to live, then I believe that the Holy Spirit can't help but pour out his presence on his people. And I just want to end by saying, yeah, that um, I said to the Lord, uh, this week, I was like, is there anything else, you know, is there anything else you want to say? Um, and I just felt like I hadn't quite got it yet. And then as I was praying, this dropped in my spirit. And it was that um, confession isn't acknowledging you're a bad person. Confession is acknowledging your need for Jesus. It's not acknowledging you're a bad person. It's acknowledging you're in need of Jesus. And when we acknowledge that, 
we know that we are just so dependent on our saviour who came and set us free. We try to live independent of that truth, but it's time to become wholeheartedly dependent on Jesus again. We need him. And when you need him, I find in my own life that when you need Jesus, he comes and he meets you where you are because in his graciousness and his love and mercy, he can't help but move on a desperate heart. And so confession is not acknowledging you're a bad person. It's acknowledging that you need Jesus. And if every heart here acknowledged that we were simply in need of Jesus, I believe we would experience a move of God's spirit here amongst us, that it would be a gateway to a move of God. Shall we pray together? Yeah, God, um, when we fail, Jesus, to live the life that you've called us to live, which we do all the time, I'm sure, um, would you forgive us, Jesus? And I pray, God, that you would give us a courage and a boldness to be honest with people about how we're actually doing in life. I pray that now, Jesus, this courage in our life to be able to confess, Jesus. Thank you that this is a discipline that we must learn. It's, it's an art, Jesus. This is something that you've called us to do. And so, God, I pray that as we confess our sins to each other, that you might come and move in power amongst your people, Jesus. Let this be the starting point for a real move of your spirit amongst your people. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll have a blessed week and we'll see you all next week.